Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Ideas and Impact. I'm Sophia Pugh, and I'm the District Vice President for Vancouver Island for Scotiabank. It's our pleasure to sponsor this timely edition of Ideas and Impact. Headquartered in Canada, Scotiabank is one of the top five financial institutions in the Americas. Our reach is broad, but we are rooted in the communities where we live and work. That's why Scotiabank joined South Island Prosperity Partnership and why we are focused on supporting a strong and diverse economy for this region by working together. This episode of Ideas and Impact focuses on the question every employer is asking, where have all the employees gone? Is, it, is this extreme labor shortage the result of COVID, the great resignation or retiring baby boomers? Or are there other factors at play? Today, our panel of industry and labor experts will take a critical look at the causes and impact of the labor shortage on our region and country. And what we need to do to solve the problem across sectors. Now it's my pleasure to introduce our moderator for Ideas and Impact, Carrie Slavins, Director of Public Relations and Engagement for South Island Prosperity Partnership. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to our first rainy day in a very long time and welcome to September. Um, we wanted to hit the ground running with a very important topic um, that's um, been uh, bothering a lot of people. Um, thank you, Sophia, for your introduction and also to Scotiabank for sponsoring this session of Ideas and Impact. So when the pandemic began, Canada was slammed with job losses. We were all worried about job losses very quickly, however, Concerns about the pandemic-related unemployment shifted to focus on another problem, labor shortages. In March 2020, the number of job vacancies in Canada surpassed 1 million for the first time on record. As unemployment hit record lows, the shortages have impacted everything from new home construction to retail and restaurant openings to ferry and flight schedules to access to timely health care. And yes, everybody is asking, where have all the employees gone? Today, I'm pleased to welcome four people who are gonna look at that question, how we got here and where we're going. So if you could all turn your cameras on, please. First, it's my pleasure to introduce Emily DeRosenroll. Emily is CEO of South Island Prosperity Partnership and founding CEO of COAST. And uh, SIP is our region's mandated economic development alliance focused on creating a resilient, innovative, sustainable and equitable economy for the South Island. Next, I'd like to welcome Dan Gunn, CEO of Viatech, an organization whose support for our local tech sector has helped turn it into one of the region's largest or the region's largest private industry. Rory Kumala is CEO of Vancouver Island Construction Association, which focuses on fostering growth, economic stability, and prosperity in the island construction community. And finally, Jeff Bray, Executive Director of the Downtown Victoria Business Association. Uh, this association works very hard to support and promote downtown Victoria and the wide variety of business in the region's largest urban core. Thank you all for being here. Um, I want to begin with the question that we all want to know the answer to. Where have all the employees gone? As Sophia said, I mean, we people are blaming it on very various things. Uh, is it retirement of baby boomers, low birth rates from decades ago? Is it so-called overgenerous COVID benefits, long COVID, stalled immigration, reallocation of labor between industries? What is going on? So Emily, I wanna start with you um, because as um, head of the region's Economic Development Alliance, you have your eye, not just on individual sectors, but also on the big picture and how we fit into uh, Canada and the globe in terms of our economy. So where have all the employees gone, Emily? <laughs> Well, in, you know, in a nutshell, it's kind of all of the above, Carrie, and, and we're going to hear a lot of really interesting, um, I think, anecdotes to support that today on this panel. But, um, you know, what we're in the South Island, you know, labor has actually always been a challenge for us. And of course, that's a little bit different sector by sector. But on the whole, um, the Prosperity Partnership um, lead private sector members have been citing labor challenges as being really their top uh, concern top top sort of stifling factor um, uh, sort of 
you know, you know, sort of casting a bit of a shadow on production um, and ability to grow. And that's been for, you know, the last three years in a row, or sorry, no, three years prior to the pandemic beginning. So that's only gotten much worse during the pandemic, of course. Um, and it's something that we're seeing though across Canada. So it's not, not something special to the South Island. Um, it's something that, you know, prior to the pandemic, now more than half of businesses are actually in Canada are citing it as being a, a major problem for production um, ability to expand, which is really uh, a very important uh, indicator. And that is up by like 30 or 40% from prior to the pandemic. So it's definitely getting worse. Um, and, and, you know, if we look at, okay, well, what are the causes of this shortage? A lot of them are structural. A lot of them are stuff that that's been going on a lot longer than the pandemic itself. Uh, and we've just seen the pandemic kind of exacerbate those problems. And I'll just name a few, you named already a bunch, but you know, the baby boomers started retiring about 10 years ago. And that, that's just something that's continuing to happen. You know, so we're, we're seeing more of that one day at a time, that big demographic uh, catastrophe that we've been talking about for decades is still just steadily happening one day at a time. So we can't be shocked by the aging, you know, demographics that we're seeing. So that's one piece. But also, you know, there's there's always a skills mismatch, and that continues to be a problem. We'll probably hear that from Dan, particularly in like the technology uh, area. There's always a need for sort of more skills that require people to upskill and and rapidly scale or shift careers or adopt adopt new capabilities in their jobs. So there's kind of always that. But then on top of it, we've seen the pandemic, we see a surge of mental health, and I'm sure Rory's going to tell us some shocking uh, statistics about that. Um, the pandemic's really put a lot of pressure on people in terms of health, in terms of ability to sort of manage their, their, their lives, their, their families, etc. So that, that really has um, made an increasing difficult difficulty. And then as things now resurge in certain sectors that took a little longer to rebound, we're seeing that huge demand create more uh, demand for employees. And in turn, we're sort of seeing the, we're seeing it more prevalent in all aspects of our lives. Um, immigration disruptions are another one. Um, that's definitely played a role. Um, and, and, you know, I think we're gonna see a lot of these ripples kind of unfold over the next, the coming, the coming years really. Wow. Well, Dan, the Viatech job board has been seeing record numbers of job postings. Um, over the last uh, couple, uh, I don't know, I've noticed it certainly over the last year. What is your analysis of what's happening with the labor supply in the tech sector? Um, how severe is the shortage? And um, what do we what do we do? Well, that's uh, there's a lot to that question. I think the um, the first thing is at least 15 years in a row, our members have told us that the rate determining step for growth is, is talent. Um, and so we, we, like any region that has a thriving tech sector, has been slowed by access to good, skilled, experienced talent. Um, what the pandemic and all the other elements have done is compounded that, that issue. And so right now, um, actually, we're seeing uh, our companies are looking further abroad than ever before because remote work is, is more of an option. And I think if we talk about our, you know, our, the, the, the microeconomics of, of our own region, that, that is that is something we need to pay attention to because right now, you know, tech companies are bringing in four to $5 billion a year in annual revenues. We'll have a new economic impact study soon, but those numbers are from 2018, uh, which is great for the economy because most of those dollars come from outside the region and they get paid out in salaries, which becomes a great tax base and becomes a great contribution uh, to all the restaurants, cafes, festivals, and other things that we have locally. Um, but if those companies have to find their talent somewhere else in the globe, then we're gonna lose some of that positive um, ripple effect that comes from that. And so uh, right now on our job board, we're, you know, going into the summer, things always slow down coming out of the fall. I would say we're a little bit behind where we would expect to be with job postings locally. And I think the reason for that is because they're starting to look uh, a lot further abroad and it's become that much more difficult. And so the um, the way you look for talent has become much more curated than posting on a job board. It, you, you have to work very hard to find people and bring them in. Um, and so, uh, you know, the challenge for us economically, I think that is twofold. There's the potential of the lost impact if we're hiring people from outside the region. And there's the fact that our companies can't grow as fast as they, their, their potential because they can't find those people. And so, um, so that's, that's real and it's not unique to Victoria, but Victoria can outcompete um, and outperform other places because we're small and agile. Um, and so if we can get smart about it, we can, uh, we can get ahead. Right, okay. 
Um, and um, I guess um, we've heard about how is how are things, Dan? Um, you know, you were talking about people working more remotely, but in terms of attracting workers here, uh, how big an impact or uh, influence is the housing shortage, for instance, cost of living here? Is that factoring into it at all? Sure, it is. I think the number one challenge um, to, to talent for for our sector is related to housing availability and housing affordability. There, are, uh, there have been I, I hear about it almost daily from companies that you know they can list uh, half a dozen to many dozens of job offers that at the end didn't follow through because the person couldn't find uh, a place to live, um, whether or not that was affordability or availability. Um, and uh, and so that is. Uh, that is, if that gets addressed, then that that will go a long way um, to solving solving the issue. It's not the only thing, um, but it's something that we can do something about. And you know, we don't we're not making more South Island. You know, it's we're 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 stuck with the amount of real estate that we have, and so we have to get smart about density. We have to get smart about um, alternative housing options with basement suites and garden suites and all of those things. And we have to do it really fast. You know, it's it's it, we're doing it too slowly. And um, that is the thing that's mentioned over and over is that we're not moving fast enough. And uh, interestingly enough, a number of people have commented um, that we did seem to be able to move fast when we had to during the pandemic, but uh, are we returning to uh, older ways of doing things um, when we needed to keep our foot on the pedal? Um, Rory, according to StatsCan, construction is one of the sectors hardest hit by this labor shortage. And a report by Build Force Canada found uh, a worker shortfall. Uh, workers are not um, keeping pace with demand. Um, what are your insights about your sector? What's going on? Well, there? I think as you know, as Emily has talked about, we've been we've been tracking this for ten years. We knew this was coming, primarily coming from the retirement bubble that that really is starting in two thousand twenty. So some of the numbers that I've been looking and tracking, you know, nationally we employ about uh, one point two million dollars in the construction sector. That's projected to go up to about uh, it's from 1.2 to 1.22. Uh, you know, it's going to go up about 20,000. Provincially, we see that same effect happening, where you know we employ nearly not we we employ nearly 195,000 people in this sector. It's going to go up five or six thousand people. That's going to manifest itself through replacing the retirements, and the retirements are profound. Uh, you know, in BC, we're going to be seeing nearly 25,000 people retire from the 2021 to 2024, 25 season year. And you layer on, we still need another three to 4,000 workers on top of that. We're going to have a shortfall of nearly seven to 10, you know, probably seven, I'd argue it probably closer to 10,000 workers, depending on where we are whether you're Vancouver Island, some of the Northern projects that are happening. So we really start to see this happening, not because of COVID, the COVID is really, the really, the, I think the COVID is really impacting the inertia by which we're getting back to things. And um, I think as we all knew, uh, we saw that businesses were shut down and certainly the construction sector, I have to say fared well, in a sense that we were deemed an essential service. But it also, we start to feel the pinch where costs have, you know, have escalated at a rate we've never seen before. We've seen the impact of everything from fuel to materials and, of course, labor uh, really be impacted by what has been seen as, I think, COVID really driving a lot of these questions and where are we going with our economy? Well, we're going up in our costs. That's translating itself into our construction sector. So, you know, we're, we're struggling with it. We've known about it. Uh, we've, we're, in a, we're in an era of construction that we've never seen before. And the other challenge to this, it's right across Canada. So where Victoria or BC would compete with Alberta, Alberta, remember we, a couple of years ago, Alberta got a bit soft, we took their workers. We've seen workers from right across Canada come to BC to work on some of our mega, mega projects. But because those regional economies are also so strong and are also in demand, those workers aren't being as mobile. Talk about what Dan talks about, the cost of housing. Yeah. We've retract, you know, we attract workers from Alberta, but somebody from coming from Red Deer or Alberta with a 25, 3,000 square foot home on an acre property, looking at Victoria going, nope, I'm not going to do it. I can work here and I can do just as well. So we're competing with that paradigm that's happening right across the country. Mm -hmm. I just want to pop in. We had a question here, um, and usually I'll wait to the end, but this seems relevant now. Do you see the current housing slowdown affecting the number of workers needed? Can you comment on that question? And 
Well, I, I don't right now. We don't have a slowdown. The reality yeah. is, is we're trying, we have pent up demand mm -hmm. that is not getting built uh, because we don't have the workers or uh, there are questions around affordability, particularly with materials and the cost, the escalation costs. Primarily what I hear from our members is they're looking at a vast project, a book of projects and they're like, I can't do it because I don't have the workers. I can't even bid that work. So, you know, we're kind of caught between a chicken and an egg where we know our population on the island is growing. We know we have a demand for housing that is not going to recede anytime soon. Uh, and the other part of this is of the workforce I talked about, approximately 50% of them work in the residential market. They are our residential builders. They're, you know, everybody we see, you know, the four or five um, you know, people on a team building homes. Um, that adds up and it's really driving when we look at the number of building permits that are issued that are housing, housing permits. CMHC is in itself is saying there is going to be a slight slowdown in construction. That's on a general basis. If we look at Vancouver Island, I'd argue that our trends are not showing that. Our trends are showing that for BC uh, or for Victoria and the regional Victoria area, the building permits are high. If you look at all of the book projects that are in that are on in the planning stages, they're not even going to come close to what we need to do to to I don't want to say saturate our market, but provide enough uh, housing so that we can start to stabilize our you know our housing market. Um, I think we're away from that. We've got too much work to do to build to make sure we get there. Mm -hmm. Okay, very interesting. So when people talk about this slowdown, that's really, uh, that's really not accurate. Um, and uh, well, I think they're talking about fewer projects. But the reality is, is now you have investors and developers and contractors going ah, maybe I should wait a bit or I can't, I don't have the labor to do that. So are we slowing down because people are buying less? Well, there is that because we know the cost of housing is super expensive. But again, what does that look like in two or three years when demand when the supply is starting to balance demand? Exactly. Okay. Well, thanks, Rory. And we'll come back to this in a little bit and explore more of sort of the issues and solutions. Jeff, you are right downtown um, and re restaurants, hospitality, um, major draws for you, retail, but many businesses have been forced to reduce hours due to the labor shortage. Um, some have closed. Um, what are you hearing from downtown business owners about the labor shortage? What's going on and how are they coping? Sure. Uh, I mean, uh, and, and like uh, the other uh, presenters have, have mentioned, I mean, this was a, a trend that was happening before COVID. I mean, we were, uh, at one point, we were sub 4% unemployment rate. I mean, we were truly nominal unemployment rate. And, you know, that is no more reflected than in, in some of your hourly uh, jobs, you know, retail, uh, food and beverage, hospitality, seasonal jobs. So it's been a struggle uh, for a long time. What the pandemic did, of course, was create a huge amount of uncertainty in a lot of those sectors where the employment is a little bit less stable. Um, if you're, you know, in this town, if you're a government worker, you might have changed where you were working, but you were still working. But if you were uh, on a uh, banquet team at a hotel, you were not working. So what we saw with the pandemic was a number of people having to make very drastic uh, life choices because their employment was gone and with no certainty as to when it was going to come back. So we saw in uh, the hotel sector, uh, you know, people moving from hotels to, you know, the long-term care sector, both in kitchens and in, in house cleaning. Uh, we saw others in, in the uh, uh, culinary world go work in in um, uh, you know logging camps and in mining camps two weeks on one week off because they had certainty around their employment and quite frankly made good money and uh, weren't working till three in the morning so we, we we lost a number of those individuals to different sectors another part was uh, people said gee whiz you know I don't want to be caught in this uh, again so they started to pursue micro-credentialing and started to upscale their skills and move into, you know, uh, Dan's world. Uh, or we saw some people go into Rory's world and said, well, you know, I make uh, $18.50 an hour at Starbucks, but I can make $25 an hour working on a, on a job site. So we saw a shift. Um, I think post-pandemic, what we're seeing is the same things that, that especially for, for any of your entry-level work was cost of housing or availability, cost of transportation, 
uh, and uh, cost and availability of, of childcare, uh, which is which were all real inhibitors in this region in particular. Um, I think a couple of the other things that we're seeing now in terms of where all the employees are going um, is remember pre-pandemic, uh, if you had the sniffles, you came into work. Now you're off for five days. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, nope. but we are seeing um, absenteeism because people have been so worried about coming into office sick that if you've got a, an operation that needs six people absolutely to open your door and two call in sick, you're not opening. Uh, because you don't have extra staff. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we are seeing, uh, quite frankly, some, and no one's really talking about it uh, openly, uh, but attitude changes. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, quite frankly, the number of my businesses that have said, you know what, I had an interview with 10 people and five didn't even show up, just plain didn't show up. Or I had someone, you know, ready to start a shift and they came for one shift and then they just never came back. Uh, and so, you know, those are types of things we didn't see. You wouldn't ghost a job or ghost an interview. You at least send an email. So we're seeing that there's some attitude changes in terms of, you know, how people feel about, you know, the fact that I've got three or four opportunities. So uh, the certainty for employers has changed, again, especially in the hospitality and the service sector where people just come and go. Um, no question uh, for a lot of our businesses, the immigration backlog, not just the um, the slowdown, but the immigration backlog, especially for um, uh, the, the designated worker program, where some of the um, expedited codes haven't been changed to meet the needs and things like hospitality, um, yeah. has been a real challenge. That's where a lot of our, our members can draw, um, uh, especially seasonal workers. Uh, hasn't hasn't happened. So, you know, for retail, for food and beverage, for hospitality, uh, it's been a number of those types of things. And finally, um, we're starting to see the, the, the tension between, you know, cost of living wages uh, to deal with inflation, but then, you know, the, all the upward compression that that creates within an organization. And then there's the inflation expectation. Uh, in other words, well, I need to make more money because I'm worried that two years from now, three years from now, we're going to have inflation. And that is, is making people make different choices as to where they think they might want to work or live, mm -hmm. even though some of the forecasters suggesting inflation will be dropping back down to, you know, one to 3% within, you know, uh, uh, another year or two. So we're seeing a lot of these types of things impact and uh, it's, it's stabilized a little bit, uh, but it it's certainly was for the pandemic a really unstable time um, when you rely on, you know, 60% of your employees being part-time and yep. they can go anywhere. Exactly. Carrie, if I might, you know, I yes, think Jeff yeah. raises a good point when he talks about the different sectors. And one of the things that, you know, a lot of the conversations I have with members who are trying to find people, notwithstanding the challenges of showing up for an interview and then coming back for the second day of work. Um, but, you know, some of the realities are we have a buffet of work opportunity to choose from. You know, 50 years, 60 or 100 years ago, you were in manufacturing, you were in farming, or you were in, you know, the parents' business, whatever that might be. If you think of how expanded our economy has been, where, you know, I'm competing with the same folks that Dan is looking for, you know, our sector is looking for all of the people and we're all, we're all eager to serve our, our industries. And what that means is we're all, you know, there's very few people to pick from when you think about it. You know, there's 100 jobs for 50 people. And now it's becoming what's attractive. We talked about, we didn't talk about remote workers. Uh, we've had a few people that says, I don't want the work because I want to work from home. Yep. Well, in construction, we can't do that. You got to show up at the site. We talk about flexibility. Um, you know, we, we have a team approach to construction. You've got to have people on site. It has it has a process, no different than, you know, healthcare workers or anybody else that's in the sector. So when we're looking at it, we're trying to think of, and we're all doing this, I'm sure, is what makes our sector um, the one that we want to, you know, the one that wants to make you come and work for us. Exactly. And we're putting out a lot of effort to do that. 
Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, this um, rapid um, sort of digital, I don't want to call it a revolution, but it's certainly been the focus on digital and having to make that move across sectors. I mean, as you say, Rory, construction. I mean, well, you need a lot of people to run a lot of technology and construction as well. Um, so this has really impacted us. Dan, um, do you want to comment on this sort of surge um, that people are talking about? Um, in technology and the effect on the labor force? Sure, I think um, I think what's happened is there's been a variety of impacts on all of these industries and sectors, um, but there's an asynchronous uh, impact in that tech companies generally are quite agile yeah, and they, yeah. they transfer quickly. And so the digital opportunities are, you know, are more quickly adopted um, and taken advantage of. Whereas, you know, uh, let's let's pick on government because we've already talked about slow slow uh, changes for for housing um, other other parts of the economy don't move at that same speed so that could create a greater distance or appearance of distance i don't know how anomalous this is you know long term um in a lot of ways the last year has felt a great deal like 2007 um in 2007 the economy was overheating our unemployment was at a, at a record low um people were the, the churn in our industry in particular was very high and so if you get a high churn, like we're seeing in all of our industries now, you can expect maybe a 25% increase in your costs related to attraction, retention, training, all of those things. I saw a question there about employer of choice. And so when you're competing, you know, you're starting to get better benefits. You're starting to get more flexibility. You're starting to get more perks. All of that adds to the, the cost in the bottom line. Um, 2008, we may all remember that the, uh, the Americans took the global economy down with the subprime uh, mortgage and, and things sort of level set and, and corrected. Um, and I think we're, we're about eight years overdue for our next recession, and so um, the you know what we're seeing with inflationary pressures and other things um, currently, and the and the reaction, maybe that economic cooling will allow um, all other industries to uh, to adapt as well. Um, but generally, what happens when there's stress and strain, um, whether or not that's whether or not it's us quickly reacting with government programs that were really helpful during the pandemic, or reacting to industry opportunity. Um, digital is often a part of the solution because it's ones and zeros. It's at the speed of light. Um, it's easy to pick. Uh, it's easy to build, easy-ish to build, depending on what it is. Um, and it's it's pretty much cost-free to ship. Um, and so when there's stress and strain, that's going to have a big advantage. Um, however, uh, you need the housing. You need the hospitality and the quality of life items that, um, that make it a, a desirable place to be. And so Fortunately, I think overall, Victoria is still one of the more desirable places in the world to be, um, and that advantage um, should continue. It's now how do we um, how do we grow our, our communities uh, at the at the speed we need to to keep up with our, our growth potential and not get cost of living uh, out of whack with the rest of the country. Mm -hmm. Okay, and um, just while I'm thinking of that shift, Emily, um, of course, you are also not just CEO of SIP, but you're a C you're the founding CEO of um, Coast which is um, looking to grow the blue economy here on the Pacific coast, the sustainable blue economy. That brings to mind jobs in sustainable industries, mitigating climate change, clean tech and whatnot. That opens up a whole other area where we urgently need skilled people and we're competing. Could you talk about that a little bit? Sure, yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, I think that you know where, where there's a lot of industries and we've, we've talked about that a lot through the pandemic that there's that there's that sort of ideal around, you know, as we reinvest in skills and education, which we always have to do during recessions, generally speaking, but certainly need to do in a pandemic, which is just like turning the world upside down. Mm -hmm. um, there's always this labor market readjustment that occurs. So, so it's, 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 you know, very important. And it's also an important opportunity to create um, to create those sort of pushes in the direction that you want to take your economy. So clean, sustainable jobs, um, ocean impact, whether it's in that side or on clean energy or, or, or any other aspect of a sort of more sustainable, regenerative or circular economy. Those are all really key. But also um, there's a question in the, from the audience around sort of um, in, in being more inclusive about how we, we build back. So um, Jeff Bray also brought up sort of upskilling, reskilling. I mean, that's why we got involved with uh, MicroStart um, programming, sort of looking at how do we pull uh, micro-credentials and allow people to sort of more rapidly um, upskill and reskill, something we did with Royal Roads and UVic. 
Um, uh, but if I can pick up on a, I was kind of like trying to, there's so many things that the panelists were bringing up that I wanted to talk about, but just going back to that sort of just general, um, the general sort of difficulty that we're all facing in the, in the workforce, I think is, you know, largely the, the economist called it a while back, like the shortage economy. And so I think it's also a mental shift for businesses across all sectors that, and for people that, that we actually are not dealing before it was sort of an embarrassment of riches and and uh to some extent it was you know we as employers could have our pick of employees and it, and the and the sort of power was tilted perhaps towards the employer and that's just not the case anymore and 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 quite frankly the bottom line is that our our labor pool is smaller it has literally shrunk so you know there you'll feel the differences in different sectors but just generally speaking it's smaller so of course that means we have to be more competitive of course that means we have to dig harder to try to access you know areas where we're underutilizing the skill set for example of immigrants we're not integrating them well enough um, so there's all kinds of things that we need to be doing um, to be able to uh, to sort of compete and and help kind of do the most with what we have with the labor force we have the, the other thing to think about and, and talk about it's been for a long time, the, the sort of the boogeyman is talking about automation because we all fear, you know, rob robots will take over our job. Um, but the, you know, there's there's obviously a, a, a deep need to have some automation um, and some productivity yeah, yeah. improvements. So essentially, how do we all just do more with less? And so we all need to in incorporate those 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 sort of things in our life that, that kind of own us a, a little bit, but the, those sort of aspects that create efficiencies and and sort of reduce the the workload on on people, but of course making sure that people um, are being valued for their their highest their highest use, you know, their highest talent that they can do to contribute, which so that will never be replaced by automation. No, that's great. Does anybody else want to comment on the automation topic? Well, I mean, I'll, I'll jump in on, we saw that come to fruition big time for uh, a lot of businesses that traditionally, you know, never used anything more complicated than a, a calculator or cash register in retail, restaurants. When we saw uh, a lot of people recognizing that the only way they could maintain operations and move inventory was, was using this thing. Uh, and we saw that with the, the great explosion of Uber Eats, DoorDash for a brief period of time, 2D. Um, and, and all of a sudden, restaurants had to shift how they did their back, back of house operation and then how they did the actual food delivery. Uh, we saw that in retail. Uh, and, and I know uh, Dan and the tech sector in this, this uh, community right at the beginning of the pandemic offered up some opportunities for small businesses to actually have an online presence. Mm -hmm. But again, that meant they had to do things a little bit differently with respect to how the customer picked up their product. Uh, we curbside pickup. What was that? That was So we did see uh, a lot of use of that. What is interesting is now that we're sort of I don't want to say post-pandemic, but we're we're back to pre-pandemic levels and a lot of our economic activity. Those lifelines have now become pinch points in a lot of businesses. If you go to a Starbucks um, and they're running like banshees back there because they've still got the lineup of people who want their latte, but now they got all the people who have pre-ordered yeah. coming in. So so you know, this this the fact is is that the way in which businesses, even small businesses are interacting digitally and with technology uh, is continuing, but it hasn't necessarily been the panacea now that we're back to, to normal operations uh, and it's creating staff challenges at the production side of things. You don't need as many people to clean tables, but you need way more people to make your lattes. So um, I think we're seeing that, I think certainly in the office environment, uh, things like Zoom, Microsoft Teams um, is the new norm. Um, I think in Victoria, unlike some other urban centers in North America, are, are going to see a greater return to the office for a whole host of reasons. But nonetheless, uh, the office of the future is going to look different. And part of it is the adoption of technology, both by the employer and by employees and to a large extent, customers. There's lots of customers who've never met their financial planner in person now. 
Right. Uh, and they're quite fine with that. So I think we're going to see a lot of that technology, not so much automation on the service side, but certainly that interface of technology and how customers get their service mm-hmm. is going to be different. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. I, I want to um, circle back here. Um, Emily, uh, I want to talk about inflation. It's on everybody's mind. And let's look at that in terms of the labor shortage and just delve a little bit deeper into what's happening there. Yeah, well, that that is on everyone's mind. I think in in, in the U.S., it's it's like the election, you know, sort of issue. This sort of the top issue, and and it's uh, people are talking about it in all aspects. You know, meatflation and eggflation and all of these different sort of versions on inflation. So it's definitely in kind of like every aisle, and people are seeing that. Um, but there is a there is a strong connection between the worker. Um, sort of shortage and inflation uh, that sort of reinforces itself. And so as, um, you know, Jeff just described this kind of resurgence of like a classic demand, like a normal, what we call sort of pre-pandemic demand, that's kind of clashing with uh, the sort of maybe new market opportunities that we created. So we're seeing that sort of, that sort of big um, sort of, you know, increased pressure on on services and goods. And then as a result, employers need to find more employees to cover that and in trying to do that. And meanwhile, the employees are facing higher costs everywhere as the businesses are, and they're asking for higher wages. Um, and so as they do that, the prices go up and, and then it continues this, this vicious, this vicious cycle. So that's why, I mean, the central banks are so terrified about inflation, just being um, something that just literally gets worse and worse and worse. And, and then, add in the sort of optics or the perception, uh, again, something that Jeff brought up is that sort of perspective that inflation is just gonna keep going for years and years and years. And then you add in like almost like a speculation around inflation, which I heard, I, I read an article yesterday called like, they're calling that now vibeflation because it's like an emotional thing that is creating an actual inflationary pressure. Uh, so so you can see how like this inflation is actually the can't, runaway inflation is like the worst thing that could happen um, in so many respects. So if we don't, if we don't stop that and halt that, then, then the whole, everything gets, you know, 10,000 times worse. So uh, mm-hmm. I think that's why it's important that the interest rates are going so high, which is obviously creating some pain. Um, and I believe in 2023, sort of early part of 2023, uh, most of the banks are forecasting a sort of mild recession. And really, that is actually seems counterintuitive, but that is great news for for all of us because that will actually reduce that pressure on the mm-hmm. workers and give everybody a bit more breathing room to readjust supply and demand. I think that's yeah, and I just read that RBC was talking about that um, recession in you know possibly twenty twenty three might ease labor shortages. The one thing that they were talking about is that as Canada's population continues to age these problems are going to continue to return. So we have to deal with it. And in fact, there was um, Armin Yelnizkan, an economist um, and Atkinson fellow on the future of workers says the labor shortage was predictable 60 to 65 years ago, and we've done nothing about it. So will we just continue to do nothing and just hope it goes away? Is that just the human way of doing things or What's happening? I mean, should we've got to look at the retiring baby boomers? Um, well, I think I think one of the that's part of the federal government strategy. Of course, they've announced again another increase in the annual immigration target rate, mm-hmm. uh, and that really is in large measure uh, labor pool replacement. That's that's the, the federal government's response. The challenge that that we have is first of all, there's about one and a half million applications for permanent residents in the backlog. Um, you know, when the minister says we're going to bring 435,000 people into Canada this year, to Rory's point, where are you going to house them? Yeah. Uh, we are looking over the next two decades, I was just at a presentation yesterday, we're looking at net, that's taking into demolishments, everything else, net 3,000 new housing units every year, every year for the next 20 years to even begin to meet the, the demand. And that's that's a, a, a moderate, that's a median projection between some more aggressive population growth and what the CRD is planning through the regional growth strategy. But you know, we're not building anywhere near that. And again, that's that's just of all types. The fact is, is that for a lot of our sectors, especially if we're looking to get new Canadians yeah. or younger Canadians here, 
they're not looking to buy in Broadmead when they get here. You know, they they need they and a roommate need a, a rental apartment somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the challenge that we're going to have with immigration, uh, even though we are getting more than our our annual share, we're starting to see more of that. Is rental new purpose built rental projects? The performers are all out the window now. And I think the challenge is going to be, it's not going to make economic sense for anybody to build purpose-built rental, mm-hmm. uh, which means you're back to building a strata development residentially um, for investment. Uh, but who's going to buy a condo when your costs uh, are unregulated, but your revenue is regulated? Mm-hmm. So that's going to be our big challenge. I think there'll be lots of things that middle-income uh, you know, higher end professionals are going to be able to afford, but the, the workers that we're going to need and that the can is aiming to bring in uh, are going to find it increasingly difficult to live in the capital region or for that matter in places like Couch and Valley uh, because they're not building fast enough. So um, I think really immigration in the short and mid term is our way. The, the longer term is what Emily's talking about, which is shifting some of how we work uh, so that uh, we have the highest and best skill and people trained to that highest level and things like automation and, and technology deal with some of the more mundane stuff. Uh, and the quick example I'll give is years ago, I toured some uh, lumber mills in the interior and one was the new Canfor mill in, in Houston. And I mean, it was all automated. Uh, you still had lots of workers, but boy, it, it just moved things through computers um, it could look at a log in one second, determine the most efficient use of that one log and send it to the right cutters. I went to another one and there was a guy at the end of the line stamping the company's logo on the, on the, on the boards. So I think that's going to be the other challenges is that we're going to have to find ways to work smarter because I don't think mm-hmm. we're going to find, you know, that equilibrium between job opportunities and job growth in this area. And, and employees, stable employees. And so I think we're going to see both of those things. But without housing, um, it's, it's, it's a moot point. There's literally nowhere for people. The other thing I'll just quickly say is uh, the conversation that I've been hearing is uh, students going to UVic, going to Camosun in particular, uh, six of them sleeping on the floor of one person's apartment because they can't find anywhere to live. Yep. Well, again, if you can't find anywhere to live, you're not going to be coming here to get the skills to then potentially be a future employee here. So housing, I really think is going to be one of the keys. So and finding a doctor just to throw in in, in that uh, on housing, right? Because, you know, there was that doctor in the interior, maybe three months ago or something who went to the press and said, told, you know, said, we can't stop building more houses in the middle of a housing crisis, stop building more houses because we can't provide health care, primary care to the people that would move in. So, you know, again, it's like thinking about that shortage economy, it's, it's, it's as much health care as housing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Very good point. Um, I mean, and I can't remember when I've heard, you know, um, medical care talked about, you know, in line with the economy so much. Um, And we're just seeing a flood of that. Um, I just want to, um, I'm just going to weave in some questions from the from the audience um, as we go on. we uh, we've got one here about the comment about attitude change related to job seekers and employee employees, and this uh, person says, "How are industries responding in a changing culture to become an employer of choice?" So I wanna I wanna look at that and go, what are employers doing? Are they doing everything they can, or are there things that each of you in your areas are hearing about that might benefit employees? Different ideas, for, uh, employers, different ideas for them. To help well, you know, for the construction, sorry, for the construction sector, you know, again, we're so desperate, not desperate, yeah, we're desperate, we're desperate to find qualified, skilled people, both mm-hmm. to come into the tree, into this, into the sector and stay in the sector. Uh, a lot of the companies now are focusing on mental wellness. So as we were, you know, we, we've been promoting wellness around the opioid um, tragedies that have been happening, because we know that one in five are coming from our sector. Uh, those are profound numbers and companies now have to look at their workforce in a different way as just being, you know, labor and getting work done to, to find health and benefits, to find good wages. And, you know, I'd argue that construction has very good wages. 
they're becoming very accommodating. So some of the elements that, you know, what we're trying to do in the sector is, uh, you know, integrating newcomers. We're putting out a number of programs, both for potential employees, but also companies to understand how can they work with respecting the cultural needs of, of, a, of, a, of an immigrant, of, um, you know, their lifestyle needs. Uh, we're also looking at how do we uh, how do we create a better culture overall, whether it's, um, you know, construction can be a bit of a crude work environment. How do we temper that? How do we how do we get behaviors that make it welcoming for for um, uh, for women, for others, you know, other individuals that don't feel comfortable on the site? So, you know, the I think we all have an obligation to promote our sectors as as a, as a positive work environment, look at pro professional development. I was gonna talk a little bit about technology and innovation and construction's right for it. So companies now investing in their people to upskill so that they can learn how to use, in, use technology in the day-to-day -day activities that go on with construction. And we have a huge gap, we have a huge um, bridge of, of talent we have 55, 60 year olds who are not technically savvy to young people coming in that are extremely technical savvy. And that middle ground of integrating has to network all of those, all of that culture together uh, so that, you know, we can keep going. And I think when we're looking at how do we, you know, how do we look at wages? There's a cap, you know, we have companies that are, they get a job, they're paying a little more, a little more, and they're pulling people around, but there's a cap. There's only, you know, you're not going to get too much higher than what, uh, you know, there's a regional economy and it's only going to pay so much. Um, so you have to supplement it with other things, um, you know, family events, um, looking at, you know, how they can, uh, you know, work around people's lifestyles. A lot of that's being accommodated, uh, certainly in the construction sector, in an effort to, to both attract and retain employees. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I think there's some other things that are happening too, in addition to what Rory's talked about, um, that is making that challenging. Um, you know, one of the things, and again, I've said that Victoria may, may see less of this sort of true hybrid or even working from home model. I think, I think people all said, what a great panacea, I could work from home. And, uh, but what happens over time is you realize it's not a lot of fun sitting in your kitchen nook every day five days a week and, and you miss that camaraderie. So I think what, what I'm seeing from some of the sort of, you know, more office side of things is really making the office a fun place. Like it's a fun place to be. It's social. Um, there's mentorship, you know, that if you're, if you're in the office, you get, you, we can, you can get more sort of on-site training and, and, and that idea of, of making the workplace a fun place, both, to get people back into the office, but also as a retention strategy uh, for um, things like retail hospitality. Again, it is that flexibility, uh, but you can only be so flexible, uh, you know, and, and perks mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, so opportunities to, to participate in the service you provide more regularly. So if you're, um, you know, if you're in a retail setting, you get a really good discount for whatever you're selling and these types of things. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, it is about making sure that people feel valued when they're on the job site, uh, that they have opportunity on the job site, um, that they're compensated well, uh, and, and that they like being there, that this is, this is a place that I want to be. And that, again, is, is a change from when you had your pick of the litter Right. to um and so managers have to be much better you know at one minute managing uh and owners have to be much more sensitive to, to where their employees are at on mm -hmm. issues like mental health you know you can't just say suck it up anymore no, uh, you can't, um... so i know that that issues around you know well-being and mental health have become much more of a focus even a very small employers who were always great employers, always a great sense of family, but now they're realizing they need some additional tools uh, to be able to support employees that are dealing with any number of issues um, that before were just told you got to suck it up. So I think there's a shift on the job site to make this a fun place for people to be. And that's, that's the way they're going to uh, retain some of their workers, where that wasn't a consideration seven or eight years no. ago. And, and it's about, I mean, connecting people 
to the labor force, you know, which is another reason that we want people to come back into the offices. Dan, I'm kind of curious um, from your point of view um, in your sector, what's being done? What are what are employers doing to make themselves more attractive? Uh, you talked about remote work opportunities. Um, what's happening and what still needs to happen? So I would think that, um, you know, it's pretty obvious that being an employer of choice has been a terminology in the tech sector for two decades. Um, uh, but that can lead to unused foosball tables and, and mediocre sandwich bars as well, right? And so I think sometimes that the, the perks become just that, they're, they're, they're veneer. Um, and I think how this has gotten deeper as a result of, of our current situation is um, employers are starting to recognize that um, the character of the organization, the purpose of the organization, the values and the vision of that organization, how that resonates with their employees is a lot more important than it used to be. Um, and it can be a great way to create loyalty and a long-term relationship with somebody. Keep in mind too, we've talked about immigration and remote work. And um, I, you know, I would say that when I talk to, I, I have this conversation several times a day, I'm going to a leadership retreat we're hosting next week with 30 CEOs, and it's going to be a big conversation. Um, depending on who I talk to, what they think is happening is a, is a reflection of what they want to be happening. Um, so some people tell me remote's going to work for everybody. Um, and maybe that works for their market, for their customer, for, for their type of productivity. And other people are like, no, we, we have to be together. If we're not together, we're not going to have the culture that we need to be successful and innovative. Um, and what I've learned is it's, it's more a projection than, than a prediction. Uh, but what's different, um, I think, that and, and uh, un, unexpected is because remote opportunities became more widely adopted and available, um, I don't think any region in the world was prepared for the competition that they were going to be in for their top talent. So if you have a really experienced, great, I don't know, pick, let's pick engineer because that's a, a general enough thing. Um, they will get offered a job unsolicited from San Francisco that pays 50% to 100% more than they're making in Canada. Um, they're going to take that. Um, and, and so now the companies locally, where do they find their great innovators and their skills? And so the competition is no longer just with the company um, uh, in a city nearby or within your own city. It's, it's with everywhere. Um, and it's going to take some time to wash out. Uh, I thought at the beginning that working remotely was the greatest thing ever. I'm Generation X. I'm my only child. Um, and so being in isolation and not having to do extroverted things sounded great. And after about eight months, I realized I actually need to be around people. Um, and so now I'm in the office every single day. But there are some people that it works for them. And so I, I don't think there's one brush for everyone. I think that some people are going to work remotely and they're going to be very productive and some companies are going to be 100% remote and some are going to be hybrid um, and they're going to attract the people that are attracted to that, that form of work. Right. And Emily, I, I kind of want you to weigh in here. Um, and one of the things you've also been involved with is um, surveying employers through SIP to find out where their pain points were. What are you hearing? What are you thinking that um, we have to do to encourage people to reconnect with the workforce and also just to get more people in here? Yeah, I mean, the it's a another kind of you know broad question, but you know, weighing in on the on the remote work piece, like I, I agree completely with what Dan's saying, and we're we're seeing the same thing. So the 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 different, I mean, sectors are a little bit different. They all have their sort of you know their their sort of norms and culture and 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 needs and so on and requirements. So they 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 tend to be a little bit different. But in the um, in the ones that where you can work from home, um, there's definitely a lot of um, you know disagreement around um, sort of how much uh, at home time is good and sort of how what is a hybrid work environment look like um, uh, we're, we're reading things about em employers tending to be like the managers tending to be the ones that see more of the importance and maybe the benefit of working in person and mm -hmm. so and, and you know and I've read some pieces on that you know whether or not that's because they tend to have the maybe the better office um, the more you know positive experience of the office uh, situation and also just the bias of that's how they sort of made their way up in in the world um, and so it's just kind of how do you sort of break open things that that might be bigger uh, you know sort of harder to unpack and are people getting the the promotional opportunities when they're working remote uh, you know so what are what's kind of all of those those knock-on effects so I think we're definitely still kind of working that out but you know, again, it's a buyer's, uh, I mean, I think the, the sort of case in point around all of this is it's, it's a it's a seller's market for skills. So if employers aren't listening 
and, and you know, each culture is different, but if you're not listening, if you're not asking your employees sort of how they want to work mm-hmm. and what is working for them best and listening to their needs and trying to reflect those back in the workplace, then, then you're just, you're going to see that you're kind of with the short end of the stick. And Emily, just to continue, because we are coming to the end here, what are what are we missing in this picture? What do we what haven't we talked about today? And I know this is a massive issue, but if you wanted to weigh in with some final thoughts on this, um, well, I hope for you. I'd love everyone to weigh in with their final thoughts on this, but yep. but my my sort of um, final thoughts are that you know these are these are issues that are that are really big and sometimes you know seem kind of hard to control and they're things that you know Japan is experiencing even actually worse than us and so they're kind of global um, a lot of these things so that's that can feel uh, sort of intimidating but at the same time uh, I think the panelists did a really great job at listing out some some really practical solutions and how this is actually playing out in the South Island and what we can do so housing. Uh, is a big one. We have levers there. We can do something. We need to do it way, way, way faster. I completely agree. Um, there's other pieces like healthcare. We there's things we can do there. Um, we have channels. So there's you know childcare. There's better supports for for immigration. There's education. So there's a lot of tools that we have and burying our heads in the sand um, when we look at these labor shortages and then just wait for it to really, really hurt and then go back to pretending it's all fine as mm-hmm. we've done for decades is not a you know a recipe for success. Right, um, Rory. Last comment. I think the one thing I would have liked to talk and we can, I'll just put out there is I think we have to invest in our children and our youth when they're younger. Um, Certainly for our sector, uh, getting kids to pursue vocation or the trades is something that kids at a very young age either get onto it or they don't. They become academic or they don't. It doesn't mean they can't bridge between the two, but I'm seeing far too much of our, of our, you know, our, our, uh, the middle school and the high school levels ignoring all of these other types of training and development that could allow a child to become a carpenter or a welder or a brain surgeon. It doesn't really, I'm not trying to say either one, but we, you know, there's not, there's very little focus on vocational uh, mentorship as opposed to academic mentorship. And, you know, the kids that are coming out now are really lacking any capacity past grade 12 to really know where they're going to go. Uh, particularly when you see school systems eliminating shop class in grade, you know, middle school. So, you know, we've got to keep these kids interested and 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 um, motivate them to say, here's a career path for me. You know, I might not be the strongest academically, but I've got these great skills with my hands and my, you know, you know, my applied abilities are there. So I think we have to keep that in mind as a systems approach to look at. It's a whole bunch of things, but we also can't forget our kids. No, and I think that's a really good point, Dan. Um, I think how I'd like to frame this is that, yeah, we're talking about a lot of macro things that are not unique to Victoria. Um, And so the opportunity for us, and, you know, when we talked about agility and we talked about um, when Jeff was giving examples of digital adoption um, during the pandemic, um, if you're an innovative entrepreneur, um, challenges challenges and, and problems are opportunities. Um, and so we have an opportunity here to try and be um, uh, better prepared um, and, uh, and, and more agile um, and more creative in our, in our, in our solutions. And so um, this isn't going away, um, re- recession or not, uh, we've been dealing with this for a while. And so how can Victoria preserve what makes so many people want to be here while making room for more people to be here? Uh, that's, that's the critical, that's the critical linchpin that I see. And, and, but that's something that's actually within, um, within our, our control. Okay. And actually that's, that's a great way to frame it. Uh, that's, uh, that's a bit of a hope in a, a note of hope in a very big topic that sometimes seems very unmanageable for people, you know, looking, looking to the local and Jeff, you get the final, final word. Wow, what a shock. Um, well, I mean, I would say, you know, to the extent to which we can diversify who we're competing for, that's one of our great opportunities. So things like coast and, and really focusing in a new area is one of the ways that we deal with the labor challenge, because we're not necessarily all chasing the same employee, we actually have more opportunities. But I would say the top three things that we are going to need to do, because we've recaptured 105% of the jobs that we had pre-pandemic. In other words, we have more jobs now than we did before. Uh, and the population uh, of retirees versus jobs is gonna to continue to grow. 
and, and the population is gonna to continue to grow ahead of the housing curve. So I would say the top three things that we can ultimately do to really uh, be able to attract and retain workers is number one is housing, number two is housing, and then the third one is housing. I, I, I just think that at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how great an employer you are, if I literally can't live in the CRD, it's, it's moot. We need tens of thousands of additional new units over the next uh, 20 years. And that rests either with our municipalities who control land use, or as our potentially incoming premier suggests, it may, it may fall back to the province. And I think we want municipalities to control it, but they've got to recognize that every municipality is going to look a lot different 20 years from now. It's about getting on with the job. Okay, very, very good. And so this is fascinating. I think we could have like four more sessions of this. Um, I want to thank all of you, uh, Rory Comella of VICA, Dan Gunn, Viatech, Emily DeRosenroll of SIP, and Jeff Bray, DVBA. Those are a lot of acronyms, but some very smart people who are really in touch with what's happening. Um, in their sectors and with the labor shortage overall. Um, you've given us some clarity onto this very important issue. And a big thank you to our sponsor today, uh, Sophia, uh, thank you. And thank you, Scotiabank. Um, if you would like to watch this panel again or share it with others, we'll be posting it on our YouTube channel. And um, speaking of gaining clarity, um, SIP's third annual Rising Economy Conference is coming up from November 15th to 17th. We're gonna be looking at how to cut through the noise, gain clarity, um, really uh, try and tackle some of the big issues and have deep conversations around our future. And um, you can visit rising econ rrisingeconomy.com and sign up for the newsletter and be the first to hear about exciting keynotes and ticket sales. Thank you all for being here and thank you to our audience. Have a great day. Thanks, everybody.